So if you want to turn your Bibles to, oh, if you ever miss a service or you can't be here, on the back of the bulletin, there's the website. You can follow along and, and watch the service. I'm sure Adam will be watching uh, every week because that's three hours ahead. So you just have to get up early, right? You can <clears throat> watch us live and go to your other church. So, that, so that's what we're counting on. All right. Uh, so all the, all the different sites you can watch are on the back of that too, okay? So you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. And if you grab one of the Bibles on the way in, it's page 928. And if you need a Bible, grab it, take it. It's uh, our gift to you. Anytime you need a Bible, you don't have to ask. Just, uh, just take it home with you. That's awesome. And we are in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, as you know, which is victory no matter what we are facing, no matter what we're facing in our life, what we're facing in our country, whatever our church is facing, we can have victory no matter what, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ and the All right, you got it. Faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole theme. That's the whole point of it all. And uh, so the title for today is, Are We at Cross Purposes with God's Purposes? Are we at cross purposes with God's purposes? Acts 21, 1 through 16. And I've already asked Adam to be my volunteer. Come on up here, Adam. Uh, He's going to help me out with an uh, opening uh, illustration. Something I used to use in the youth group when I was in youth ministry. You could use this one, okay? I I didn't come up with it. I borrowed it, I'm sure, 40 years ago. But uh, Adam also didn't mention if you want to get his prayer cards, grab those on the way out from him. He'll have them in the back. And if you want to support him, uh, still need some support. So you can talk to him about that, get the information. But he'd love to have our prayers and support. And, of course, when you send updates, I'll blast them out to everybody. And our church is also going to be supporting him, too. But we'd love to have individuals also doing that. But I have just kind of a, by faith, it's a hundred grand bar, uh, a candy bar. And uh, so you get a chance to get the candy bar. I can't give you a hundred grand, but I'll give you the candy bar. So I'm going to blindfold him. And he's got to find out where it is. I'm going to blindfold him, walk him out kind of in the midst of you. And I want all of you to start shouting where to go where I put the candy bar, okay? Everybody at once start, start letting him know, okay? All right, so, all right, all right, all right first of all, we'll put the blindfold yeah, on first of all. Yeah, yeah. No peeking, no peeking. Oh, no. Okay, no peeking. There we go. All right. All right, so walk over here. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. we're going to put you in the middle. I'll love everybody here. All right. All right, now, just stand right here. I'm gonna, okay, now, uh, I'm gonna hide the candy bar. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, so go ahead, everybody. Start telling them where to go. Exactly. Got louder. You gotta be louder. Everybody start shouting. All right, stop. Time out. Time out. All right, you get the point, uh, Adam. Uh, go straight ahead. Straight ahead. No, no, wait, stop, stop. Go to the left a little bit. We don't want to knock the camera over. That's worth a lot. All right, straight ahead. Straight ahead. Keep going. Three more steps. Three more steps. One, two, three. Now reach, reach. Down lower, lower, lower. Oh, you're close. You're close. Right? You got it. All right. All right. You can keep, you can keep the blindfold. Well, give me the candy bar back. Okay. All right. All right. So, so. What was the key there? What was the key? What was the key? One voice. One voice. One voice. And that's what, this is really a picture of what happens to us, right? The world is constantly shouting out to us, telling us where to go. And it's confusion, right? The world, the, our friends, even our Christian friends uh, can add to the confusion. That's what we're going to talk about here. But we must learn to listen to one voice. 
Just the pastor. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not no. Just <laughs> I couldn't read this. I couldn't read this. One voice. It's not a cult. I'm just joking. All right. One voice. It's God's word. It's God's word. God's word, and and His voice through His word and the Holy Spirit's leading is the voice we must listen to. That's the voice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the worship. We thank you for the. Um, you know, Adam's ministry, we thank you for your word now and just pray. We know every one of us is either here or listening somewhere for a purpose. You have a purpose you want to accomplish in our life. We pray your Holy Spirit would do that work through your word in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God's voice. Let's uh, let's read the passage first. So I'm going to use it over here. I think. Yeah. Uh, Acts 21 verse one. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there we went to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and sailing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. On to Syria, we landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on. Go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Okay, so here we go. I want to focus on verses 10 to 14. Now, I'm going to, I read you the whole sermon. I'll just focus on these four verses because it's like the, 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 the whole point of this passage here. Verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. Okay, let's start off here. I'm going to do those four verses, but I'm just going to read again 10 and 11 starting off here. 10 and 11. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and his 
tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So we have the prophet Agabus is, is warning Paul, warning him. We have this warning from a prophet. We see lots of prophets in the New Testament. It was especially needed because the Bible, the canon, was not completed yet. It wasn't finished yet. And even if it was, it wasn't widely available to people when it was. So prophets were very, very important in the New Testament. We now have God's word at our fingertips. Literally, you got your cell phones, you know, you can find God's word. Uh, you can do all kinds of searches. It's amazing what we can do finding God's word. We have it at our fingertip. And the, God's word is the main way the Holy Spirit speaks today. The, the vast majority of times, it's, it's uh, the, God's word. And primarily, prophets, prophets could either foretell, tell what's going to happen, or they could foretell. They could take God's word and preach God's word in such a way that it applied it to the people of wherever they are, whatever culture, whatever time they're at. So when you hear the word prophecy, it can mean foretell or foretell. It can mean either one in the Bible. You have to go by the context. But so primarily it's forth telling, taking God's word and preaching it prophetically. That's the main way. But God can still use prophets either way today. He could still do foretelling from his word, which is primary, but he, but he also can do foretelling, especially in countries where the Bible is banned, in places of intense persecution, in places where there is no Bible. You hear more and more these, these miraculous stories of God moving in miraculous New Testament ways. Prophetically, people giving words of prophecy and speaking them because they don't have the Bible, right? Uh, we're going to see this more and more as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ in the time of the tribulation. As we get closer to the uh, persecution, that's going to be increasing. No matter when the rapture is, pre-mid-trib, whatever, it's still going to be a lot of intense persecution leading up to that tribulation, right? <clears throat> we're seeing the beginning of that even now. And as, as we get closer to the time of the second coming and intense persecution, we are going to see God moving prophetically in many ways. In fact, let's look at Joel 2. Joel 2.20. I'm sorry, Joel 2.30 to 32. This is, listen to what it says. This is God. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The earth will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So this is talking about... The day of the Lord and Jesus coming again and judgment on the earth. And, you know, we all this really hitting on the end of the the the, uh, tribulation there. But no, I want to go back up a couple verses, the verse 28, just before this. Listen what the prophet says. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What is going to happen as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the intense persecution? God is going to pour out a spirit of prophecy, powerful prophecy. And it's going to be needed because there's going to be persecution and people aren't going to be able to touch their Bibles and, uh, or their cell phones or anything. It's going to be intense persecution and God is going to move prophetically in a powerful way. 
So the prophetic gift is important, both foretelling and foretelling. It's an important gift. Uh, it's very, very important. Both of them we have to listen to. I'll, I'm going to delineate them in just a minute here. But in First Thessalonians five nineteen to 20, listen to what it says. Do not, this is Paul speaking. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Very, very important, okay? But all prophecy must be tested. Must be tested. First Thessalonians 5, I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to add a few verses on this time. Do not, do not quench the Spirit. Sorry, I used my other version there in my head. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Test them all. Hold on to the good. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Okay? So you see that not only are we not supposed to treat them with contempt because that will put out the Spirit's fire, but they're all to be tested. Every prophecy must be tested. So much of what passes for prophecy today is just flesh. I'm just going to say it. It's just flesh. It's just people's imagination. Running rampant. Uh, and it, it's, it's crazy what people say prophetically and get away with it. Uh, you know, it, <clears throat> it's just unbelievable. Or even, even worse than that, there's counterfeiting. Satan will counterfeit using prophecy. Did you know that? There's a lot of counterfeiting that Satan used. I went once went to a place where there was a great, great revival going on. And I went to it, and Kim and I drove all the way out to it. It was north of the border. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, we got there, and uh, I, I just couldn't believe what we were seeing. We, we were seeing people prophetically moved, prophetically, but they were doing some very scary things. I'm not going to say what it was, but I will say this. I've done a lot of spiritual warfare and if i had seen that here i would have prayed over the people because it looked like that was scary things happening let me just say that and i said to them i go i'm just a little concerned i said to the leaders there i go i'm seeing some things that are manifestations that i would normally pray over them you know because it looks like something scarier counterfeiting i go do you ever test these prophetic utterances and actions oh no we never test we never would quench the spirit by testing and i'm like Whoa. we got in the car and we left you know all right because that's very troubling very troubling because in first john 4 1 listen to what john said dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see where they are from god because many false prophets have gone out into the world so you can't tell me up there in this I almost said it. Uh, church, you can't test because that's biblical. Not testing is not biblical. You can't ignore the prophecies, but you can't, You better test them. Very, very important. And then he goes on in John. He goes on for the next five verses telling us how to test them. But I'm not going to get into that. It's a whole other sermon. But prophecy today is rarely tested. Pro, you know, rarely tested. And it's so easy to do. It, it, it's so easy to do. Uh, it, it, especially foretelling. If someone's doing the foretelling prophecy, it's very easy to test. How do we know? Does it happen? Does it happen? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Deuteronomy 18.22 gives us the test. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this, it, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be alarmed. Okay? Uh, that, it, it's really easy. It, it has to happen. A true prophet 
has to be, a biblical prophet has to be 100%. 100%. Or else they're false. I heard these prophetic guys, every once in a while I need to be amused and I'll listen to them. And uh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I was 50% this year. I was 50 A biblical prophet, Old Testament times, yeah, they had to be 100. But New Testament, about 50% is about right. If you're 50%, you're a good prophet. I'm like, what? Who made up this rule? You know, you know, like people send these people money and listen to them. Listen, it, 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 it's, it's fifty percent is not okay. I could guess fifty percent. You know, this is what these, uh, you know, the fortune tellers do. You know, these, you know, you know, I'm talking about Gene Dixon. Remember Gene Dixon? You know, I was eighteen percent. You know, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff. Deuteronomy eighteen twenty says this uh, just before it. But if a prophet who pre uh, a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. They were to be stoned. If a prophet claimed to be a prophet from the Lord, said something, it didn't happen, they were to be stoned. That's killed, not, you know, don't give them something. You know, stoned, all right? They were to be stoned. They, yeah. it, what does this last election expose? Many false prophets, you know, these guys are all these prophets. Oh, President Trump's going to win. It's going to win, you know, and then he didn't win. Well, he's still going to win. It just hasn't been overturned yet, you know, or they stole the election. So, you know, they make all these excuses. If you're really a prophet, you would say he's going to win, but it's going to be stolen. And, 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 uh, you know, they would predict this, right? Or, you know, you should, the whole thing should be there. You know, they, they weasel out of everything. It's crazy. They should be, these guys should be stoned. I've told more people, I can't tell you, thankfully not many here, but uh, more people, more Christians, well, I've been listening to this guy. I go, he predicted Trump was going to win. Stop listening. But way before that, there was many things this guy had said that were, didn't come true. You know, if they're not 100%, don't listen. I remember uh, some years back, someone came to me right before the service, about 10 years ago now. I was at the, back when we were in the hotel for that short time. And they came up to me and said, Pastor Chuck, this husband and wife, there's something terrible that's going to happen. We were listening to a prophecy this morning. And, and there's a little girl in Atlanta who said, there's going to be a horrible event to America this morning. We've got to call off church. We've got to all go home and pray in our houses. You, we can't just be here. This is, this is, I go, oh, oh, whoa, time out, time out, you know. I go, uh, so something really, yeah, it's going to be like a nuclear bomb's going to go off this morning. And they were convinced. And I went, swept through much of the country afterward i got home and i read about all this i said well, let's just wait and see if it happens they go what are you talking about i go oh let's just wait and see if it happens and if it happens then we'll drive home quick and we'll get home and we'll pray you know but i have a feeling this isn't real and and they go oh you can't ignore prophecy i go i'm gonna put it on hold i'm gonna put it on pause you know and not only that if it doesn't come true i'm gonna head on down there and help stone the girl you know, they go, what are you talking about? I go, well, the Bible says you got to stone a false prophet. we got to do it. They never came back again. But anyway, that was their last study. But if they're going to follow crazy people, they, this isn't the right place for them, right? You know, we follow the Bible here, you know, and we test things, right? All right, it's crazy. Uh, it, it's just crazy. Okay, so anyway, I had my fun. Back to Agabus. Back to Agabus. Who was a true prophet? Verse 10. Acts 21, verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Holy 
In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. So this is, this is a true prophet, and, he, and it's exactly what's going to happen. He predicts that Paul's going to be bound and handed over uh, to the Gentiles, which is exactly what happened, as we'll see later in Acts. Now, what I want to say, he gives a true prophecy, but let's look at how the Christians responded to his true prophecy. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When we heard this. Now, this is who wrote the book of Acts. I know Holy Spirit, but who do you use? Luke, right? Luke is saying we, he, he and the other disciples with them. And the, the believers there, that where they were, they were pleading with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They, they tried to talk him out of it. Even Luke did it. I mean, Luke, right? What's the problem with what they said? What's the problem? Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit wasn't saying don't go. He didn't say don't go. He just said, be prepared. This is what's going to happen. He didn't say, so don't go. He just said, be prepared because this is what is going to happen. He just wanted to prepare Paul and the believers for what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit had already told Paul clearly to go. When did he do that? Acts 20. Remember Acts 20 a couple weeks ago? Acts 20, verse 22. Listen to what he said. This is Paul. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the, t- the, task the Lord I'm blurring it. Uh, come, finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He was compelled by the Spirit. It, he was told to go knowing it was going to be rough. Which means, what does that mean about all this Christian advice Paul was just getting from Luke and all of them? What does it mean about that? It's wrong. They were getting bad. He was getting bad advice. They were actually at cross purposes with God's purposes. Now, you know, why I picked the title cross purposes with God's purposes. It'd be like when Adam was getting ready to go back to California a few months ago. We said, no, Adam, don't go. Stay here. We, we we're going to miss you. Stay here. Well, you can you can, you know, live in my house. You can do this. Do that. You know, but God was leading him back. And now look at how he's using them. Right. But that's what it would be like us begging him not to go where God's leading him. And that's exactly cross purposes with God's purposes. But Paul didn't fall for the trap. He didn't listen to what they say. Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He didn't fall for the trap. He didn't fall for it, right? He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't listen to him. And what was the result of him standing firm to what the Holy Spirit had clearly told him? Verse 14, that when, we, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up <laughs> and said, the Lord's will be done. Now, we should have said that to start with, right? 
But they finally gave up and they said, the Lord's will be done. They finally surrendered to God's will. Finally surrendered to God's will. You ever have that happen? You're fighting against God and the person stays firm and you finally surrender to God's will. You ever have that happen? Nobody here, but you might know someone like that. Crazy, isn't it? That they would try to talk Paul out of God's will and God's purpose. I mean, isn't that crazy? I mean, really crazy. Because we would never do that. We have never done that, have we? How many times have I, I think about, how many times have I given someone biblical advice only to get pushback from that person? And you know what they, I hear so many times, but all my Christian friends are telling me this. Many, uh, my Christian counselor is telling me this. Boy, that makes me mad. How many times? But we all do it, don't we? we were, have you ever been at cross purposes with God's purposes? You tried, we tried to talk someone out of following God's word, his leading, his purpose. I'm not going to use any examples from maybe here, but I remember someone from, because uh, nobody would do that here, but, but I remember a woman in my church many years ago, <clears throat> she came to me and she, she was older and her children were older and she came and said, you know, my, my daughters wanted to go into missions. I believe it was daughters. It's been many years. And she said, my daughters wanted to go into missions. And I said, no, don't go into missions. You know why I said it? Because I didn't want to lose them. They would be moving to some other place, some other dangerous place like California, some place, you know. (laughs) I'm only half joking, by the way. But anyway, I'm not joking at all, am I? But anyway, uh, they'd be moving away from me. And I didn't want to lose them. So I talked them out of it. I talked them into going to a college and not doing Bible and not doing missions. And, and they did what I told them. And they got married. And they left the faith. And none of them followed God at all. My daughters. She goes, I was lo- worried about losing them. So I tried to keep them. And I ended up losing them, didn't I? Heartbreaking, isn't it? Heartbreaking. But so many times we are at cross purposes with God's purposes, aren't we? It happens when we try to steer someone a direction that we think is safer or more lucrative or better in the world's eyes, right? Or we we try to rescue somebody from a trial, a trial in their life. And so we bail them out. Or we enable them in some way. We're trying to help rescue them out of trial instead of helping them persevere in their trial. Instead of rescuing them, we should be helping them persevere in the trial that God has placed them. Because every time we pull them out, if it's your kids, every time you pull your kid out of a a trial that God wants them to go through, you stunt their growth. We cripple them when we do that every time. That's enough. I'm not going to go anywhere else with that one. Will we get out of God's way? Will we let him complete his purpose? 
in our lives and other people's lives? Will we surrender to God's will? God, your purpose, your will for your glory. Will will we do that? Will we surrender to God's will for people's lives and our own life? Will we surrender to God's will for our country today? Even if it means judgment. So many of us are like, oh, if we can only win this next election and get this president and, <clears throat> and everything's going to be great, you know. And, <clears throat> and we, we think that way. But maybe, and it sure looks like God's got a whole different plan in place. I'm not saying about the election, but God's, no matter what happens with the election, I believe God's got a plan in place. And it won't be pretty for our country. I, but I believe... Are we willing to say, God, even if it means judgment on our country, do what you have to do. Will we surrender to God's purpose for our church, this church? Will we surrender to God's purpose for the church in the United States today? Will we surrender for that, even if it means persecution? Listen, the church in America has been blessed. We've got money and big buildings and converts and TV shows and blah, 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 and all these teachers and, and commentaries. And we've got it all. The, whole, the rest of the world looks at the U.S. as, oh, we, they got the best Christianity. And whenever I go to other countries, I'm like, don't copy us. We're horrible. We're worldly and carnal and, you know, don't copy us. It, but, but, we'll, but we'll, what, the only thing, we, I've been praying for revival my whole life. It's not happening. Because we're, we're blessed, but it's not happening. I really believe it's going to take persecution. That's when we're going to see true revival. Will we pray for revival no matter what it takes in our life, in our kids, in our friends? Will we pray for revival no matter what it takes? Will we pray that prayer? That's a tough prayer, isn't it? Will we pray that for the church in America? God, whatever it takes, revive us. Even if it's just a remnant revival, which I believe it will be. Sorry, all you prophetic voices out there. I believe it's going to be a remnant revival. And, 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 and it's going to be a real revival, but we pray for it no matter what it takes to wake up the church in America. I have a friend who went on a mission trip to Ukraine, and uh, he, he sent me his update from a pastor in the Ukraine. Listen to this. This is a pastor in the Ukraine. The church in Ukraine is, was a lot like the church in America about a year ago. Listen to this. We have changed a lot. Our lives have changed. We can never be the same. We look at life differently. We don't have plans even a month ahead because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. We begin to understand that a person needs very little to live and be happy. The church has become a pillar and a torch for many people. I thank God for the people who serve in the church. They are real heroes of faith. If necessary, they are ready to serve others night and day. We are preparing for the cold, and we pray to God that the winter is not cold, that our fighters are not in the cold. We have a big crisis with the heating of houses. In addition to firewood, there is nothing to heat the houses with. There is no coal in our region and last, since last winter. Electricity is cut off from time to time. We rely only on God. My family is all at home, although many times I've wanted to take them at least uh, take them at least to Romania. But they firmly decided to stay at home and help me in the ministry. 
I spend a lot of time on the road at meetings. I thank God for you and the people who pray for us. That's a church in revival. Look what it took. That's a church in revival. A church in revival. Will we surrender to God's will? Will we surrender to God's will for our lives? Will we surrender to God's will for, for our church? Will we surrender to God's will for the lives of other people? Our, even our kids? Will we surrender to God's will for that? No matter how painful, no matter how much we don't like it, will we surrender to God's will? Even if it looks like we're losing in the world's eyes, will we surrender to God's will? Are we willing to pray, God, whatever it takes? Do you have the guts to pray that? Whatever it takes... God, to revive me, do it. Whatever it takes to revive my family, to, to save somebody, whatever it takes to save them, do it. That's a gutsy prayer. Whatever it takes to revive, to, to, to reach America, to refine us, whatever it takes. That's a scary prayer, isn't it? But there's something a lot scarier, and that's losing them for eternity. Losing people, losing, losing the people for eternity. Do we have, will, no matter how painful, will we pray that? Will we, will we surrender to God's will and focus on his purpose? I was reading about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And listen to what he said. He, he came to America just before the war, World War II. And the Nazis were taken over. And it looked a lot like America, actually. The Nazi youth. The KGB. Uh, not the KGB. That's Russia. The, the Gestapo. We call it the FBI now, right? The, you, know, you get my point. It looked a lot like America today. And he left. He went to, to America. But Bonhoeffer's American friends kept urging him to remain in New York. But the young theologian's face was set. In July 1939, having boarded ship, he wrote, I made a mistake coming to America. Why? Because they tried to talk him into staying. I I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through the difficult period of our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Oh, so you know the story. He was arrested by the FBI, I mean the Gestapo. He was arrested. He was put in concentration camps where he preached night and day before he was finally hung by Hitler. He didn't listen to his friends, but he listened to God. You know, I've been reading this book. A lot of you know I've been reading this book, Journey to the Mayflower, which Joy Vanderbilt actually got us started on. I frowned out. All right. Thank you, Joy, for this book. And uh, it's the hundred years leading up to the Mayflower. It's not, we all know what happened on the Mayflower, but the hundred years leading up, what led to that? Sounds a lot like the USA today where we're headed. Let me just read you one passage that fits exactly what I just preached about Paul. There was a bishop, uh, 1553, Queen Mary was the queen of England for a time, and she was trying to purge the Bible-believing Christians. Right? She was part of the uh, 
the apostate church at that time, which in ruling was the Roman Catholic Church, but also uh, the Church of England became just as apostate uh, under you know Henry VIII. All right, so he she was trying to purge all the Bible believing Christians, and she nabbed the Bishop of of Gloucester. His name was John Hooper. This is all in Fox's Book of Martyrs, also if you want to read more about it. Hooper was prepared to die for his faith. The authorities had given him the chance to flee the country. They gave him, they said, get out of here, we're going to arrest you. They gave him a chance to flee the country. And Hooper's friends had urged him to return to exile in Switzerland. He had gone to Switzerland earlier under uh, Henry VIII to, to you know, get away from persecution. But now he was a bishop. Now he's a bishop. And they were pleading with him to go back to Switzerland. But he said, I'm a bishop now. Once I did flee... And take me to my feet. But now, because I'm called to the place and vocation, I am thoroughly persuaded to, to stay, tarry, and to live and die with my sheep. Hooper was one of the most popular pastors in all of England powerful preacher he was also a driven reformer he was trying to reform the church especially when as a bishop his first survey of his uh, clergy group that he was overseeing he found out that fewer than half of the 300 clergymen were able to list the ten commandments 30 failed to recite the lord's prayer 27 cannot even say who composed the lord's prayer that's where the church was Sounds horrible, doesn't it? Welcome to America. Welcome to America. He, he, uh, John Fox said that 7,000 people showed up for his execution. He was to be burned at the stake. The wood was green. They put green wood on so it would burn slowly and, and kill him slowly. The wind was also very strong, kept blowing the fire out the first time. The second time it blew it out just Burned, you know, burned him badly, but wasn't, he wasn't even close to being dead yet. Finally, he said, for God's love, good people. Hooper cried from the unconsuming flames. Let me have more. Fire. They lit a third bundle and it finally did its job. He kept crying out repeatedly, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When when he was black in the mouth and his tongue swollen that he could not speak, yet his lips went till they were shrunk to the gums. He knocked his breast with his hands till one of his arms fell off. So immediately bowing forward, he yielded up his spirit. This is history. This is where the story of the pilgrims' fathers starts with Mary's campaign to burn Protestantism out of England. This ignited... The first 
Puritan movement and lit the pilgrim's way into the religious underground. I'm going to read that again. This ignited the, the fires of, of, these, of these martyrdoms, ignited the first Puritan movement and lit the pilgrim's way into the religious underground, into exile and into the new world, which we are part of. It changed their view of the world. It gave them an arch enemy and divided the world into two bodies of Christ and the Antichrist. What does this remind us of? What has happened in the last three years? God has separated the wheat from the weeds, the sheep from the goats, and showed us what our real battle is that we're not going to be comfortable here in this world. Their revolutionary, pioneering, fanatical movement was forged in those fires. Are we surrendered to God's purpose for our lives? Are we helping or hindering other people to follow their call and their purpose? Will we pray, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, my life, my loved one's life, the church in America, Whatever it takes. And maybe you're not a Christian yet because you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus yet. I pray that you take that step now. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, surrendered your life to him, gave your life to him? I pray that you will do it now. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? How is his Holy Spirit convicting us? Maybe here, Tane, you've never... Put your faith in Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've been holding back, hanging on to the world and holding back, hanging on to sin, hanging on to flesh and holding back. But Jesus is calling you now. Today is a day of salvation. I want to encourage you to take that step today. Right now, put your faith in Jesus Christ. The simple but powerful prayer of faith, God, I don't want the world anymore. I don't want my sin. I don't want the garbage. I don't want the shame. I repent. I repent. I turn away. I walk away from my old life. I am putting my faith in. In Jesus Christ, your one and only Son, who died on the cross for my sin, who died on the cross to set me free, I put my faith in your Son, Jesus. I surrender. I surrender my life to you. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you have been set free. 
You have been forgiven. You have been made a brand new creation in Christ. You now have life here and forever with Jesus. A brand new life. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Text me, call me. Tell If you have a family member or a friend here, tell somebody. If you have a co-worker who's a Christian, I'm praying for you. Tell somebody so that we can be excited for you and we will be and also encourage you in your new life in Jesus Christ. Tell somebody. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us, speaking to us? Would our prayer be God? Whatever it takes. I surrender to your purpose. What is the Holy Spirit showing us? Something in our life. Somebody in our life. Something in our life that he's convicting us of. Speaking to us. Will we surrender? Father, I pray that you would prepare our church family for what is definitely coming. We know it because you warned us over and over in the scripture. But Lord, we know the end. We know the victory. We know that joy awaits us just like these believers in the Ukraine. That joy, the joy they're living And we know that eternity awaits us also, Lord. Life of eternity. That the flames are temporary. Compared to eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.